Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Bat Cave, North Carolina, and neither Ray nor I consider ourselves Batman or Robin. But nonetheless, we're coming from Bat Cave, and those of you in Bat Cave, hopefully you'll uh, tune in. I'd be very interested in uh, what your world looks like in Bat Cave. How many people are there in Bat Cave? Do you know? I have no idea. I don't even know how close it is to anything that we're aware of. I mean, Bat Cave, North Carolina, could be hidden somewhere in the mountains. Who knows? Sounds like. Right? It could be a, a Marvel comic book city. I have no idea. Anyway, we're still on feedback. Thought we might reclaim a little bit of the last session before we set up today's episode. And what we really want to focus on at some point today is the notion of when do you offer feedback and what are the critical skills involved in providing feedback. But the point I would want to make and then toss it to you, Ray, is that indeed we view feedback as a skill. And much like we said in one of the very earliest podcasts, when it's a skill, you have to develop it. You have to begin to work at it. You have to practice it. You have to become better at it. And we had a model that we talked about starting from the notion of unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence and to unconscious competence. Now, one of the things I'd recommend the listeners maybe attend to or do while they're listening to this podcast is where are they on this particular skill of feedback? Are they essentially unconsciously incompetent? Are they consciously incompetent? That is, they realize they're not as good at it as they thought they were and moving towards conscious competence. And that's where we at least like to move them. I'm assuming that's one of our goals is to move our listeners to a higher level of conscious and even unconscious competence regarding providing feedback. So maybe you could kick us off with some of the things you were thinking about as a way of reclaiming what we talked about last week. Well, certainly I agree with you, Bob, that one of the important understandings is that this is a skill. It's it's not something you can do just spontaneously. It's, it's not something you inherit. It's not something genetic. It really is an interpersonal communication skill that needs your attention and your commitment to develop. One of the other critical elements in the picture of feedback that I think we want to deliver is that it is information. It's not opinion. It is not uh, your picture of things. It's sharing information that you understand as fact. So important part of feedback is that you make a commitment to collecting the behavioral data, that you not do it spontaneously, that you not look at something and decide that's the truth of the world. Let's talk about that for a moment. The notion of saying it is fact and that one of the, if you will, skills related to providing feedback is collecting data, accurate data, behavioral data. What do you recommend to people who are listening about this notion of separating their opinions from the data? The notion, again, we'll go back and say a lot of people end up wanting to provide feedback because they've got some opinion or some view that they think needs to be shared with someone else that isn't necessarily fact-based. It's their opinion. It's their view. It's their concern. And so now they're almost imposing it on someone else and they're calling it feedback. Any thoughts about how someone goes about separating that so that they're making sure that they're providing feedback in the way we're defining it and not just simply offering opinions? Well, I think that if it's observation, if the feedback you're going to deliver is based on observation of someone else's behavior, I I think it's a good idea to get more than one case. 
if you can. So if I have two or three occasions where the same behavior has been used and it really is inappropriate, it's really unproductive, it's really not successful behavior. Then I have three cases that I can share. I have three data points. When it's only one data point, my observation of that could have been affected by what I ate that morning. I mean, my observation would affect by having too little sleep. So I'm not sure that ever providing feedback based on one observation, one event is a good idea only because I think the database is pretty weak. So are we saying that the purpose of collecting data is to have examples, to be able to pinpoint to the other individual, specifically, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm observing, and it's it's a repeated phenomenon? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. That's the point. Mm. Feedback is bringing attention to someone's behavior so they can see how it affects others and make some choices about that. Now, if I have just one occasion of that behavior, it gives a person in the room to say, that's not like me. When I've got three occasions or four occasions or whatever, then that's much harder for them to just dance away from. That's a pattern. What about the thought, and we started this conversation with the notion of this is about feedback is about sharing factual data. It's about sharing what you observe, what you see versus your opinion or some feelings you have about the other individual. We talked a little bit earlier about the notion of how you go about separating that. That is, if I want to be good at providing feedback. How do I take my own opinions? How do I deal with those in some way to have them not become a part of the feedback process? Well, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, Bob, you used that idea of wanting to isolate or separate feelings. I'm not, I'm not sure you can do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that behavior produces feeling. Mm-hmm. If the behavior is positive, I feel good about it. And I want to let people know that. If the behavior is negative and it's producing awkward, problematic results, that's also going to create some feeling. And I want to let the person know about that. But I want to do it as much as I can without the emotions clouding the behavior, without without the emotions creating arbitrary debate points. I want to use the behavior itself, the event, as what I'm giving feedback on. I don't want my attitude to be the primary thing the person is responding to. I don't want my feelings to be the primary thing. And I probably misstated, and I felt like you clarified it well, it's not so much about feelings or not sharing feelings, but I did hear you say it's not about sharing your opinion or not about sharing an evaluative statement that has no basis in data or facts that you can back it up with. That That's one of the problems we have in the notion of feedback, negative feedback, is we treat that as criticism or personal opinion or evaluative statements that are not simply information to give the individual. Am I missing that? No, no, I don't think you're missing that. But let me give you an example, see if I can use an example that might create some understanding. When I was at Hurdle, I remember once I made a talk with an associate about their attendance. And this associate had missed seven days in the last 30. And none of those had been permitted in the sense of a doctor's excuse or illness. This was just seven misses. I had all those documented. And I called the person in and suggested I'd like to give them some information, give them some feedback uh, related to their attendance. That I thought their attendance was beginning to become an obstacle to their success with the organization. I said, you've missed seven days in the last 30. That is three times your team average and five times the company average. The impact of that is to cause people to have to work hard to make up for your absence. And we don't have easy ways to find substitutes. So you can end up reducing your team, that's a team of four, by 25%, their effectiveness, their efficiency. Uh, What's your take on that? How do you feel about that? Now, in that 
delivery, what I'm really saying is here's the data. Here are the events. Are those accurate? Do you recall those? So the point is not my frustration with that absence. My point is there's seven days. That's much higher than this, the company average. Puts the team at risk. Makes their success far less likely. What's your take on that? Now, one of the things I could have said is when you miss seven days, it reflects that you have no commitment to your team. That's where you begin to state opinion. And, and that's an added. That's not a fact. I don't know that he's not committed to his team. If I were to interview his team, his team might say, no, when he's here, he's terrific. When he's here, he's the best we got. As an example, that's where I'd say I separate opinion and attitude from fact by stating here are the behavior, when they occurred, and this is the impact. So notion of being good at giving feedback really is this notion of focusing on the behaviors and consistently doing that and not walking away from that, being very concerned that am I focused on the data or am I beginning to work in my own opinions, which may or may not have any relevance. That's what I've got to work at if I'm going to get better at this. Right. Okay. So we wanted to move on to the area of when should feedback be offered and what are some of the critical skills related to that? You feel like we've summarized last episode enough to go there, go that direction? I I think we can move on. Although I I will say I'll try to reserve the opportunity to reinforce any concepts or any points we're making in the future. But I certainly like, yeah, I think we should move on. And when we talk about when feedback should be offered, I think anytime performance meets or exceeds expectation. Hmm. Anytime you're getting someone who does something positive that goes beyond, you definitely want to provide some feedback. You definitely want to give them that news hmm. that their behaviors produce this impact. So that's that's an occasion. I On the other side, I think anytime behavior falls short of expectations or standards, you need to step up quickly. You need not let it get prolonged, not let it get replicated to the point where now the person's put themselves in the spot. One of the things you and I have talked before about, I think anyone who's in a leadership role who uses a performance review to let someone know they're putting themselves at a point of being fired, dismissed. It's their fault. They've created a problem. No one should ever be that near their dismissal, that near that risk, and not have heard about it several times already and delivered feedback earlier. Although I have to laugh a little bit because the way you just described it, there's really no time that you don't get feedback. If they're meeting performance standards or they're exceeding them, you give feedback. And if they're failing to meet them, you're giving feedback. And I'm trying to think, is there any other option there? Either I'm failing, I'm meeting, or I'm exceeding. And I'm thinking, okay, then feedback is uh, generally appropriate all the time in terms well, of what's uh, going on. Yeah, you could see it that way. I don't think that people exceed or miss standards all the time. I'm hoping that's rare. I'm hoping particularly missing the standard, falling short is rare. But I also think it's rare that people exceed expectations by so much that the fee- that feedback needs to be offered. Now, I, I think people who feel like I can do nine things right and never hear about it and one thing wrong and I get slapped for it, that's automatically says effective feedback isn't being delivered. But I do think that people, when you offer positive comment on people's performance when they've exceeded expectations, it causes them to do it again. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any reservation about doing it regularly. I'm just kind of teasing because in a way we're making an argument that says there is no situation, no time in which feedback isn't appropriate or isn't valuable. It really essentially when kids in the family or organizational members in a large organization are performing, there is warranted feedback opportunities to provide them with information about how they're doing. There is no moment in time where you say, well, should I or shouldn't I give feedback? No, feedback is always an appropriate thing as long as you're doing it right, as long as you're being attentive to it. Now, you're smiling. 
One of the interesting things about the millennial generation that's different than the other generations is millennials would like feedback every five minutes. Mm -hmm. Millennials are feedback deprived or feedback starved, they think. And which is to say, I'm agreeing with you, you can't give too much. Very rarely does it occur that you give too much feedback to anyone. And you could be, you could be giving it all the time. I think there's wisdom in deciding when's it, when is it most appropriate. But yeah, I think we deliver far too little feedback. Great observation. When you were saying that about millennials, it, it did make me think that one of my colleagues in the Department of Communication at the University of Illinois was very well known for his research on game theory, you know, kids' video game. And his observation was, they are always instantly receiving feedback. Uh, they're so used to it. They're they're experiencing feedback on an ongoing basis. So they have an expectation. They're not adverse to it. They really expect it that, yeah, I'm performing. I ought to be getting feedback almost instantaneously. So it's really some of us old school folk who are reluctant to step up and keep pace with the millennials of saying, yeah, you are expecting it. You deserve it. It makes perfect sense to keep you based on the way we're talking. And you're smiling and laughing, but you're not laughing loud enough. I want you to know. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm smiling. smiling and laughing you're smiling. Because I, my belief is that's what makes video games addictive. Mm. It's the feedback. You can play them 10 hours and you know exactly how you're performing. You, mm-hmm. you don't miss a beat. And I think for kids, that's what makes them addictive. And they can start over and then get better. They get better because of the feedback. The feedback produces different behavior. And you're absolutely right. I think I think that is a perfect example of the importance and the value and the impact of feedback. And mm-hmm. video games deliver it nonstop. And not judgmentally. No, I mean, right. Even right. if you're a loser, which right. I've been on some video games, even though I ended up losing and crashing and burning, the game isn't being critical of me. It's not evaluatively passing judgment. It's just saying, you, you didn't get there, brother. You just didn't get it done. So Perfect. I mean, it, has no, it has no opinion about your performance. It just tells you you didn't get it done. Mm-hmm. You're dead you know, this time. Actually, I can't believe it. I'm looking at the time. We probably should talk a little bit about the critical skills related to feedback because we've only got about four or five more minutes before okay. we're running up against time. So what's your thinking on what, how you would assess or how you would describe what are the critical skills necessary for giving good feedback and good meaning productive feedback? Well, I think an important communication skill to me in, in virtually every situation, and I know this is true for you, is that you need to be actively listening. You need to be actively listening, observing, and in the delivery of the feedback, you need to stay very alert to the person's response. You need to use those active listening skills to pick up non-verbally what that person might be feeling. Because if, you, if you're putting the person on the defense, you're not delivering it properly. Okay, If, if, if you're causing people to feel accused, you're not delivering properly. So I think active listening is one of those critical skills, particularly the observation of the impact of your words on them. How about, and I know this isn't quite a skill set, but how about your intention towards the other individual in giving the feedback? What's your thoughts there? Well, intentionality has to be positive. I think if I if I go into delivering feedback and I'm not committed to it having positive value to the person receiving it, I'm going to miss the mark. So intentionality, having a, a predetermined positive intent is a critical part of that process. I go in with an agenda where I just want to unload, like you said in the last session. I mean, you could do that and you might walk away feeling temporary relief, but you really ought never to believe that that's going to change behavior. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not going to happen. Speak to me or speak to us about the notion of specificity as a specific part of the feedback skill set of saying to what degree we need to really focus on specific versus general things. Well, I'm only reluctant because it's going to be a part of the model we're presenting in the near future. But a critical element of feedback, in fact, the only element of feedback I truly believe you control is how specific the information is. Mm-hmm. You don't control anything else. You don't control the balance of the other person's behavior. If their behavior is negative, you didn't make it so, they made it so. If their behavior is positive, you didn't make it so, they made it so. But in terms of the information you deliver, the level of specificity is all on you. And when you're vague, like good job, terrific effort, or on the negative side, you don't care, you're not committed, sloppy What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? When you say, how in the world could you be so dumb and believe it's an actual question? No, in fact, the skill of delivering feedback, the more specific you can be in identifying the behavior you want them to consider, far more impact you're going to have. You know, in that regard, uh, I'll make an observation in terms of what I've observed about you and you can comment on it. In terms of a skill set, this comes down to an individual being consciously aware that when they're giving feedback, even in the smallest, most informal circumstances, providing some specific thing is preferred over being just a general statement. So, for example, when you've given feedback in text to some of the guys that we know, you will be very specific about your comments regarding whatever the other individual has done as a way of affirming them, letting them know what you responded to specifically. And so I think of that as a skill that can be developed. I think of that as something that people can focus on and say, I've got to work with this whenever I provide any kind of information to someone else. There's value in me thinking about what specifically did I like? What can I bring up? What can what word can I use to really pinpoint something? Yeah, you want to but, jump uh, in. No, I think you're I think you're absolutely right, Bob. And w- one of the things that well, there are actually two things that specificity does for you. One is it lets the person know you really have observed. Mm-hmm that you really have gotten it down. This is not by chance that you're commenting on this because you've noticed. So when you're very specific on what's taking place, that doesn't happen casually. That doesn't happen unintentionally. The second thing is when you make the information that you're delivering very specific, it allows them to know what to repeat and what not to repeat. It allows them to know what's making them successful and what's not. When you're not specific, they know you don't like it, but they don't know what it is. You've got a bad attitude. You don't care. Well, I don't know what that means. I mean, I know you don't like it. And I mean, I know it sounds bad, but I wouldn't know how to change it. I don't know what direction to take. I don't know what events you're talking about. I don't know what about my behavior was that problematic. So specificity does two very important things that influence people's behavior, influence their view of what you're sharing with them. And as you mentioned earlier, we'll be moving in the next episode to a model, a model for providing feedback and even more specifically how people receive feedback. And one of the key terms is utility, the ability for someone to use that information in a meaningful way. And the less utility that feedback has, the less valuable it is, even to the point of not being perceived as feedback at all. And so that becomes issue in terms of how you, we, us, deliver feedback. Ultimately, if it's going to be valued, it's going to have to have utility. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, utility is one dimension of feedback, one dimension of the value of it that actually causes people to change behavior. If you give people useless information, all you do is set up the possibility they'll be offended. Or let me put on the positive end. One of the things we're going to find out is when you give people positive information, that's vague. For example, you look great tonight. 
You did a wonderful job on that particular project, okay? When you keep doing that, maybe not the first time. The first time they'll hear it and say, oh, that's nice. I like that. When you do it two or three times, what they're going to say is, are you flattering me? Are you trying to manipulate me? So even even positive feedback, if done regularly with low specificity, it has no utility. It, in fact, starts to create questions you don't want people having to ask. Yes. Well, that comment sets us up for next week's episode, I think, really well, where we'll be going over a model. And I think it'll be an important model for listeners to grab a hold of in terms of understanding how the feedback that they do provide is perceived by others. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. 